Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All set for your flight? Yep, I've got everything I need. Eye mask, neck pillow, T-Mobile, headphones. Wait, T-Mobile? You bet. Free in-flight Wi-Fi. 15% off all Hilton brands. I never go anywhere without T-Mobile. Same goes from a water bottle, chewing gum, nail clippers, okay, passport. Okay, I'm going to leave you to it. Find out how you can experience travel better at T-Mobile.com slash travel. Qualifying plan required. Wi-Fi were available on select U.S. airlines. Deposit and Hilton Honors membership required for 15% discount. Terms and conditions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So, with one game left to play for the Reds in this season, we now uh, see that the transfer window is open, and to guide you through that on the long march from the summer until our next competitive domestic game in, in uh, against Manchester City in the Community Shield, are myself, Justin Wells, and my co-host, Tadiwa Chanakira. Tadiwa, how are you today? Yeah, not too bad. I'm strapped in for this roller coaster that is the, the transfer window. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so a, a small piece confirmed yesterday also just about Liverpool's uh, competitive playlist. Um, we are now going to be playing against Manchester City in the Community Shield uh, to begin the season because it turns out if you win the domestic treble, um, you can't play against yourself, though they could put two 11s against each other. And it would be a competitive game. It would be a com- <laughs> Yeah, it would be a very competitive game. They could put two 11s next to each other, and I'm sure that the, the uh, Abu Dhabi Sovereign Wealth Fund will ensure that each, t- each side now can also have a sub or two by, because of how they'll probably invest. Yeah, I could see that coming. Yeah, but we're, we're, you know, we're not here to talk about them. We're here to talk about Liverpool. And, uh, today, today's, uh, today's show is kind of just a primer, actually. Uh, we're not going to really discuss, uh, the, the comings and goings and other sides as we usually also do on this podcast. That, that, that'll happen this summer. You'll, you'll hear from us about that. But, um, we actually want to go through the Liverpool squad and not to do it in a similar manner that, um, has been done in previous, on previous AI shows. We're not here to recommend who we'd buy and sell. We're really just looking at the squad and assessing where we think, um, realistically there, there might be someone who bought, be bought or sold and, uh, you know, where we, where we see holes developing. And we're, we're going to go through it in position groups. We're going to take into account the current first team squad, uh, as listed from, uh, from, from what's on the Liverpool website. This includes also players on loan. So I think there's around 43 players to get through, but we're going to do this in position groups. So 
as a start, before we kind of go through this to do up, I think a, a safe thing to ask ourselves is, where do you, before we review the actual squad, think the biggest hole is in the Liverpool team? I think, and it's, I suppose it's a general thing in terms of, if you're looking at specific positions, but I think it's just improving the squad depth as a whole. Um, we, we've seen at times this season, for example, when the likes of Bobby Firmino haven't been starting that, you know, even though Origi and Sturridge do pop up with the odd goal now and then, perhaps you need to be, you know, bringing someone off the bench that's as similar to Bobby as you can find, both in quality and in style of play. Um, it just helps the team mold a lot better. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not just obviously in the striker position. You look at the right back position and other positions we'll get into, but it seems like at this stage, our, our starting 11 is starting to look really, really strong. It's just now to get to that, which is probably the hardest thing to fill, which is filling in squad depth, getting players in that are okay, you know, sitting on the bench for quite a, quite, you know, for some of the bigger games and still having the motivation to come in in other games or even chomping at the bit in case someone gets injured or loses form and they know they've got a chance of getting straight into that first team if someone slips up. Yeah, see, for me, it's not necessarily so much who can some, a forward who can compete with Bobby. I just think we need either a fourth forward or an attacking midfielder who you could pl- who let's just say Bobby is injured or Mo is injured or Mane is injured, where you don't have to change you know the structure of how we play too much, but you have someone who can create from deeper, which, uh, you know, creating opportunities. Because we've seen that when Salah hasn't played, um, Sadio is able to, to carry the mantle as the, as, as the furthest forward finisher. Um, and is also able to, he's also able to do the role of being the, a ball progressor as well. So I think across the, across the front three, I just think there's just a fourth player needed. Actually, not even to kind of be as a substitute, but I think just more as a player to, to rotate in with them. Because I do think we could do a better job of managing minutes within, uh, within, within the front three. I'd prefer also just a creative attacking midfielder because it's just something I think that even with Ox and Nabby coming back in, I don't think that those are still things that they do. Like Ox is going to drive at teams, but he's not going to break a team apart with passing. He's not a number 10. He's just an extremely, extremely physical and athletic number eight. Um, Nabby is a very tricky player and a very creative number eight, but still he's not, I don't think he's an attacking midfielder. And I think that that kind of player profile, now that we've handled the, the, you know, the defensive midfield specialist in Fabinho is another player profile that we could use. But as we get there, let's actually now start into the squad. So the best place to start for the squad is goalkeepers. Um, currently, there are three uh, goalkeepers at the club and two on loan. The three at the club are Allison Becker, Simon Mignolet, uh, Kaoman Keller, and uh, the two goal- goalkeepers on loan are Loris, Loris Karius and Camille Grabara. Uh, so there's five midfielders. There. I don't. Th- so there's five. There's five key- keepers there. Um, I think it's pretty obvious that Allison Becker is gonna remain the starter for a long time, you know, God willing. But, uh, what, what do you see going on here with the other four? Um, in particular, you have to think that Simon Mignolet, um, is probably gone and probably deserves a chance to go someplace to start. Yeah. And I, I don't think anyone would begrudge him wanting to leave or, you know, pushing for, for a transfer, I, I think it's just a matter of how much football does he still want to play. You would imagine that at his age, um, you know, just turned 31, goalkeepers are starting to enter their prime a little bit later than other positions. So he's going to be wanting to play football, you know, in this time of his career. 
So I think that's definitely something that we're going to have to look at in terms of replacing because I, I don't see how he stays um, and is willing, especially with how dominant Allison is. I think I don't think there's going to be a fight for that position, regardless of if Mignolet stays or if we bring a new number two in. It's more of just being an understudy and knowing that you're an understudy. I guess the question there then is, is, is Loris Carius potentially that guy, that, that understudy keeper? I think for me, the issue is I just don't think he'll ever be given a chance in the Premier League. Not just even at Liverpool, but any Premier League team that he were to go to, the way that, you know, social media has treated him, the way that the, the, the media itself in general in, in England has treated him has not been, you know, some of the stuff I, you could argue it's warranted. A lot of it really isn't warranted. Um, I think as, as, as football, as a football community, we're not as sensitive maybe to the mental side of the game as we should be. And, and I thought some of the treatment he got was quite harsh. So I think if he can stay as far away from the English game as possible, it, it, it would help him. So from a personal perspective, I, I wouldn't mind him being number two. I think he could learn a lot from Allison. Um, and I think stylistically, he fits more to our style of play than maybe a Mignolet does. So as an understudy, he could come in and do sort of the similar things, not to the same standard that Allison does. But just for the player himself, I don't think it's the right move to, to stay in Liverpool or even in the English Premier League. I, I think I'm with you there. I think um, Carrius also is probably actually closer to his starting... Um, I actually, that's the thing. I rate, I actually rate Loris Carrius' abilities, um, reasonably highly. I, I think that obviously Alison Becker is a significant step up for him. But I think that Carrius basically from the time he took the job against City in, uh, Jan- in January of, uh, 20, uh, 2018. And basically through till roughly around, uh, you know, right before the final, I thought he was very good for quite a bit. Um, it's t- we, you know we might not necessarily recall or remember this or choose to. Not everybody will, but some people will. Carius was the starter for the for European competition through the the group stages as well too, and was very very good in some of those games. In particular, um, the Sevilla three three could have been significantly more lopsided to actually in Sevilla's favor in the group stages because Carius made some great saves, including one to push the ball against the bar. Um, he did have the ability to make some athletic saves. I think the thing that's different between him and Allison, obviously, is that Carius is quite undersized for the Premier League as a keeper. And Allison is, um, basically, you know, a Clegane. So he's, uh, you know, th- th- that's one of the things that goes there. So I guess Carius, I-, I-, I could see where basically I don't, I don't see him at the club. I just think that he actually probably could do a job for us as a backup. I don't think that he probably wants to be a backup because he was he was bought to start. I mean, granted the transfer fee difference between four point eight million from Mines and you know sixty four million from from Roma is is quite a bit. But I guess the other question then becomes: uh, Have you ever seen uh, really Calvin Keller or Camille Cabrera play? I, I don't know anything about their styles as keepers. Not not at maybe a high enough standard to judge, especially if you're going to be backup to you know in the Premier League. I think both of them are still very young. Um, Grabara has shown glimpses of, of being quite a solid goalkeeper and he seems to have done well on loan from all the reports that have come through. Um, I think Killer, him, I've, I've not seen too much of. I'll, I'll admit I haven't been able to watch a lot of the younger game, uh, younger teams games. So, um, 
I haven't really been able to tie down maybe his style and apart from a few glimpses of just highlights, which you, you really can't take a, you can't really make a really good opinion on him on based on that. So I think it would be unfair to judge him purely on that and try and box him into a specific style. But in terms of whether or not we're looking at them potentially being a number two, I think they're still, I think that might be too much pressure for them. And especially at their age, I would rather they, they were playing and, and learning their position by playing than necessarily learning the position by being a backup keeper. Um, I think that would just pigeon that pigeonhole them in, into a position of being a backup keeper, which we've seen with keepers before. And, and I don't think it benefits a keeper. If I was looking, I would probably look a little bit older. Um, if we're, if we're saying that Carriers and, and Mignolet are leaving, maybe looking at an older keeper coming in and being okay, being a, a backup keeper, whereas stifling a younger, uh, keeper's career, I think we could, they could add more value both to Liverpool and maybe in their transfer value for the future if they are playing, whether it is, you know, in the under 23s or if it's actually sending them out on loan, maybe one of them out on loan, keeping the third, here as third choice goalkeeper, then I see more value in that. But in terms of whether I see them as the number two going forward, not for next season, I don't think. So I think we then basically can close out the keeper conversation by saying we're probably both in agreement that there's going to be a, a a backup keeper per bot. We don't know the profile of the keeper, but we'd imagine it's someone who probably has a little bit of first team experience at the senior level. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked to see us do kind of maybe like what Chelsea or City, or Chelsea did with buying, like, Willie Caballero or someone like that. Like, you're not going to get a guy to come play for you who's gonna, who's your backup keeper, who's going to be, or, like, no, or, you know, City did with Bravo. You're not going to find a keeper to come start for you who's going to be, a, 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 to play your backup who's going to be starting quality elsewhere, right? You might find that in other positions, but you're not going to find that a keeper. Starting keepers are going to play. It's it's too, it's too powerful a position, but uh, personality type. So now we're going to go to the defense. Um, when you look at it, I'm, I'm going to kind of just divide this into the, the center, the center backs and the fullbacks. Um, at center back, it's Virgil van Dyke, Dejan Lovren, who, if you actually look at his picture on the first team page, they have opted for one where he is showing extreme male pattern baldness. He does look older than everybody else. Um, Joe Gomez, Joel Matip, and Nathaniel Phillips. Um, basically, it depends upon also where you, and then for fullbacks, there's not depth. There's not a whole lot of depth there. You have Alberto Moreno, who's out of contract. Who I don't really think we need. He's going to merit too much conversation here because I think it's obvious between both player and club that there's there's no mutual interest in a return. Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander Arnold, who you have to wonder how long he's going to be wearing number sixty six for, is really the only question. Um, and then on on, uh, on loan, the only fullback that we actually have is uh, Nathaniel. Klein. The only other defender we actually have out on loan is Nathaniel Klein. So. This is a position where it doesn't seem as if there's, um, it seems as if there's, there's probably gotta be some, some things purchased here because there's, there's not a ton of depth. And I guess the other question becomes basically, if you look at our established defenders, um, obviously Virgil van Dyke stays and anybody who thinks that he's going anywhere is out of their fucking mind. I, I'm not apologizing for that curse. Um, so basically Joe Gomez obviously is going to stay because he's uh, one who's basically, although he's there for the present, there for the future. 
So it comes down to Dejan Lovren and Yoel Matip. Matip has only 12, 12 months left to run on his contract, but solidified himself as probably at the moment our second best center back next to Virgil van Dijk and has been instrumental in getting us to the final. And Dejan Lovren, who's had a, a very spotty season, uh, where he hasn't played much. He spent a lot of time injured and, I guess the question becomes with Lovren, where, where and how Klopp sees him. Because if effectively, you'd have to figure if any of these guys, one of the two, it's going to be Matip or Lovren, are potentially going to go, because there's only probably playing time for one of the two of them, with Gomez also there in the wings. And if you add the complication of the fact that on every so often we get linked to Matthias De Ligt and he hasn't gone to Barcelona yet, there still is that hope. Um, which one of these center backs first do you see... Uh, do you see staying versus leaving? I, I would like to think that Matip would get some sort of reward for the season that he's had this season, especially considering going into the season, he was probably, you know, hands down the fourth choice center back for, for, for Liverpool. Um, I think, you know, it, it's a contract that can easily be extended. Um, I, I, I don't see a problem in that in terms of, you know, tying him too, too far down and then, not being able to sell him in the future. I think if you extend his contract by two or three years, you would still be able to sell him next, you know, in over the next, over the course of that, that contract. And then obviously it, it, I don't think it bears too much risk being 27 years old. If he'll be 28 heading into next season. Um, I think there, there'll still be value to get from him. So I, I can see him maybe getting an extension and staying. More so because of the performances he's shown with Virgil van Dijk, they've shown a connection. Um, he might not be first choice coming into next season, but at least as a backup, you know, there's a baseline to show that he can slot in and work with Virgil van Dijk. So that always helps. Um, with regards to Dejan Lovren, I, I, I would personally, I, I would, I wouldn't mind him. Being sold, I think we could get a really decent fee for him. I still think, you know, that there's a few clubs out there that would be willing to pay fairly good money for him and would be silly not to take them up on it. It's just, I have a feeling that he's one of those players that, um, gets so attached, not just to, you know, Mohamed Salah, for example, being as close as they are, but also attached to a manager in that, I get the feeling that Jurgen Klopp just sees him as a project player. He's someone who, on paper, if you look at Dan Lovren, he's good in the air. He's a very aggressive front foot defender. You know, there's value in that on paper. It's just maybe he doesn't quite uh, click all, you know, all the facets and abilities that he can. It doesn't quite click on the field at the same time at times. He can go four games and give you good performances and then go on a, another five game run where he's just not on it at all. And that sort of unreliability would lead me to want to sell him. But it seems like, as I said, it's, he seems like a project player where Klopp has said, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to bring out the player that I see on paper. I want to bring it out in him. And that's my concern in that he might end up, Klopp might end up keeping the center backs as they are, whereas and then I'm sure we'll get into this the, the more d- the deeper we go, you know, into the window and into these podcasts is I think we have to continue to evolve and upgrading day on Lovren would be a key thing in ensuring that we're constantly moving forward. So yeah, well, I, I think we'll see how it goes. I'm not optimistic, but uh, yeah, you never know. 
Yeah, so for me, it's I think I think of these guys. Lobbern's the one who has to be moved on, uh, and, and to me, that's it's part of how I think. You know, you're talking about how we evolve. I think it's important that, and I say this because, <clears throat> look, I, I don't really have personal animosity towards Dejan Lovren. I don't think he's as bad as as people let on. Um, I still think that he's our most error prone defender, and I think that uh, you know, the bigger the opposition, the harder he tries. And basically, I think the issue that we're speaking about here is. That it's mostly mental for him, and I don't know that at his age, right? He just turned thirty. That he's going to put the mental side together. For me, I think that there's a certain ruthlessness in the market that needs to be achieved, where we can't get sentimental about thirty-year-old players, in particular ones who are coming off of injury. There's some foreshadowing here, uh, but uh, Dejan Lovren, I think, is a player who, you know, what he's tried. I, I think that the only things that he's that he's really guilty of is just a. Uh, you know, the, the mental blips. I think he's probably pretty good. In the, I think he's probably pretty good in the dressing room. I think he's probably a pretty popular personality in the team, but those aren't reasons to keep someone, right? Other players in this team will, em, will emerge as those popular personalities. I, I'm not even saying this is like a, a leadership point because I don't know if Dejan Lovren's a leader or not. I just think that he's probably a, you know, a, a popular personality in the dressing room. But I think he's the one who you have to move on from that center back group just because, you know, there's the combination of age and the, and the sketchy injury record. That doesn't improve as you get older, by the way. That, that tends to get worse. So I think for us, one of the things that we've suffered through and we saw it uh, when, you know, Fabinho had to step to center back is we need players who can be available. Matip has done a good job this season of not having those, like, you know, one-off fluke, um, contact injuries where he goes out for a while. Like, you know, he had the one against Napoli where, uh, where was, uh, I think it was, a. Uh, Koulibaly, you know, ran, jumped into him late in the game and said, you know, if you look at their body types, Koulibaly's going to win that and did. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, otherwise he's done a very good job of keeping himself healthy. Um, Joe Gomez, I think obviously, I think the issue with him is going to be how Klopp sees him. Uh, I hope he sees him as a center back still. Uh, I think that you can actually see that Lovren is preferred to, that Klopp prefers Lovren to Gomez at the moment because Lovren had like a two or three month injury layoff and came back into the side and played center back. Right, he started a few league games. Gomez, on the other hand, has come back in and he's just kind of subbed in at right back. He started at the new camp, but Klopp hasn't used him at center back since he's returned from injury. Uh, he got injured playing right back. I think I don't know if, Go- if Klopp sees Gomez still as a utility defender or as just a a, a hard a, you know a hard and fast center back. Either way, I think it's Lovren goes out and a center back comes in. Let's shift to the, and Nathaniel Phillips, uh, we haven't really touched on him, but I think we can kind of just agree that he's, um, he, he's a fifth choice center back and a guy who's probably going to see most of his time in the under 23s. Um, so nothing really to say there. So that brings us to the fullbacks. Obviously, um, Guy Drake will favorite Alberto Moreno is gone. So this really kind of brings us a fullback to, Andy Robertson, Trent Alexander-Arnold, and the on-loan Nathaniel Klein. You have to figure Klein, uh, knowing that he will not get for as many, will not get a lot of first-team opportunities with the emergence of Trent Alexander-Arnold probably now as, you know, one of the best three or four right-backs in the world. Andy Robertson also probably one of the three or four best left-backs in the world. I mean, that doesn't give a lot of hope to someone coming in that they're going to displace either one of those guys. No, not at all. It's going to be, and fullbacks is one of the most difficult positions to fill up because it's not necessarily the most popular position. It's usually, you know, a makeshift right winger turned fullback or something like or that. Fa- or so, a failed center midfielder. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Um, hopefully Trent doesn't go back into midfield, but that's another debate for another day. Um, I think, look, for, for Klein, I would have been okay with him 
being there as, you know, you know what you're going to get from him. I don't mind Klein giving six out of 10 to seven out of 10 performances whenever he's on the pitch. Um, but that was heading into this season. Whereas now we've seen how vital our, our fullbacks are to this team, especially on a, from an attacking sense. So whether it, I think it depends whether Klopp is looking to shift the, the emphasis of our attack. Um, if he does bring in a creative midfielder, as we've hinted at the beginning, then maybe it might take that creative burden away from the, the fullbacks, not necessarily completely take it away, but just alleviate it a little bit. And then you can see a client playing in those specific games where he's not being asked to do too much going forward. And then you know he's going to be okay to decent going back. It, and also we can't forget he fills that English quota. So I, I was okay with him being a, a reserve, you know, the, the backup fullback. But it seems even when Klein was fit, he wasn't the reserve fullback. Either James Molnar was in there or Gomez, as, as we've mentioned, was thrown in there. Or, you know, some variation was always thrown in other than him. So it, it does seem ominous that Klopp just doesn't see him as part of his plans and he'll look, he'll be, you know, off the summer. I don't know if you if you want to throw Key on Hoover in there in the fullback slots reserve or as a centre back reserve. How would you? Because I think That's that it. might influence Cop's decision. Heading it's an into interesting the one. I I I would prefer not to because I think that it's seventeen. That's I mean he 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 debuted for the club at sixteen. He's gonna be seventeen. He's gonna be seventeen turning eighteen next season, right? I get how talented that he comes across. I, I, I've seen, I've seen, I saw him play, you know, one professional, one first team professional game, and I've seen clips of what he can do on the ball in, in you know, in smaller versions. Um, I just think that you have to let him progress. I don't want to ruin players by sticking them into the first team before they're ready. I, I trust that Klopp knows when they're ready, but I think that if, if Hoover's playing, it's, it's cup competitions and that's it, right? I don't want to see him anywhere near the league of the Champions League. Uh, the thing that's the thing that's going to drive me nuts about this is because of the fact that I was assuming that we had a shot at him was that Lloyd Kelly, who's seemingly kind of the kind of profile of player that would be a, a good gap to bridge. Like kind of, Lloyd Kelly basically is exactly where Joe Gomez is, where we bought him when we bought him. But now we we can't get Lloyd Kelly now because he's just been his Bournemouth have just bought him, and ostensibly he's probably going to start for them. Yeah. So it leaves you the whole point of where do we find this kind of utility defender who can cover both positions, who's between in a developmental arc between where Joe Gomez is and where J- Kijana Hoover is, right? I think that's the I think that's the kind of player we buy unless we go out and buy Matthias Delict. If we go out and buy Matthias Delict, Joe Gomez is probably going to have to be that guy to cover both sides of the fullback, and I'm okay with that then because you know what, Matthias Delict and Virgil Van Dyke with uh, you know, Fabinho shielding them and Allison behind them is a really really good back you know back uh, you know back part of your spine. Yeah, so I, I think maybe the the fullbacks are going to be dictated by how we do business elsewhere on the pitch. I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, but we do need to cover them, and also and yeah. That's, yeah, and that's going to come into the midfield because there's one player in the midfield who I also can see doing a a job covering them, and I think might be his primary role next year. And that's James Milner. But let's go through the midfield as a positional group now: Fabinho, Jorginho, Wijnaldum, James Milner, Naby Keita, Jordan Henderson, Adam Lallana. Uh, um, Alex Oxlade Chamberlain, Jordan Shakiri, Curtis Jones, Ben Woodburn, Rafa Camacho, and then out on loan, depending upon where you classify some of these guys positionally, you have Marco Grujic, uh, Shea Ojo, Pedro Shirovella, Ovia Jaria, and I, I don't know if I want to include Harry Wilson and Ryan Kent with the forward group, and Alan Rodriguez de Souza, I guess, I guess Alan you have to include as a midfielder, but 
Um, I think at this point, Alan is, uh, kind of just a, an afterthought because he's just never going to get that work permit. Um, so when you look at this, it's actually a position where there's, where there's quite a bit, a, num- a, bit, a bit in depth of numbers, but it, there's a lot of players who, while they have individual attributes that are different, kind of do that number eight role where we have one number six and I guess Jordan Shakiri should be considered a forward. So we could talk about him when we talk about the forwards, but I guess the question is, it, it, there's not really a lot of room to kind of do much around here. It seems like we have the numbers set here, especially with Ox coming back in for a full season. Uh, the questions are going to kind of come around a few, of the, around a few players, uh, particularly there's three players who are down to potentially the last year of their contracts and uh, Jeannie Wijnaldum, James Milner, and Adam Lalana. I guess the question with them becomes, although I don't know that Lalana's in the last year's contract, I'm just going to assume he is because there's absolutely no reason to have Adam Lalana on the books of Liverpool Football Club next season. There's none. He's a 30-year-old attacking midfielder who hasn't scored or assisted a goal in two full seasons. He's never available for selection. Um, I think it's just time for him to go. Yeah, that, I, I don't think I could have summed that up better. Um, he definitely is in the last year. Well, going into next season, he'll be in the last year of his contract. So you'd want to cash in on him now, especially be, you know being one of those players that's going to get you that English premium. I think you could, I don't want to say fool a club into buying him, but I think you could persuade a club to, to pay fairly decent money for him. He's still, you know, an England international, which gets thrown around a lot, but it seems to have some sort of value, um, especially when it comes to the transfer market. So, I, you know, he's hinted that he, he would be open to a move back to Southampton. The price is being quoted of around 13 million. I, I think we could sneak a bit more than that. Uh, but obviously, because it's his last season, maybe that's a fair price, you know, in and around the, between 10 and 15 million. You kind of have to be happy. Um, at the beginning of the season, I, I was going off at anyone who was speaking of any sort of revival of Adam Lalana, And I constantly would just reply with the fact that he's more injury prone than Sturridge. Sturridge has been available for more games over the last three, uh, you know, three seasons and now last four seasons. So, I've just never seen much value in Lana, and then more so the fact that when he comes onto the pitch, he's not producing in terms of end product, which we need from our midfielders who are classified as maybe the more forward-thinking midfielders. Because we didn't have a, you know, a specialist creative midfielder, we needed the likes of Adam Lalana to be producing some sort of end product. So yeah, I'm I'm happy to see him go this summer, and I think we could get a decent fee for him. Um, in terms of the others, I think it will be interesting to see how we play it because there are a lot of bodies there. I, you know, you, you've hinted at the Milner being cover for the fullbacks. And I think if you're going to, if you're going to use it as, you know, a season where we haven't really been able to find fullback cover, um, he could be a fairly decent, you know, left back slash right back cover where he just comes into the team whenever we, we need help in, in a certain position. We know he could do a job there. Whether or not his legs will allow him to do the job at a, a good enough rate, that that would be debatable. But I think the problem with James Milner is I don't know if he's willing to sacrifice the last year, maybe two years of his career, you know, playing left back and right back exclusively. This season, maybe we could have gotten away with it because he knew primarily he was going to be playing in midfield and then there were going to be odd games now and then where he plays fullback. Whereas if the conversation is the other way around where he's being told, 
you're predominantly going to be cover for right back and left back. And maybe you might sneak a midfield, you know, position every now and then. I, I don't know if you'd favor that and you might look elsewhere. Um, but I do think also Leeds not getting promoted to the Premier League has made the t- this decision a little bit more difficult. I could have seen him going there and seeing out, you know, his career trying to help Leeds stay in the, in the Premier League. Um, and then with the others, you can sprinkle them in and out. I think Genie is someone that is a useful tool to have. Um, especially as a squad player, you do need, as we've mentioned, we need to be a squad with a lot of depth next season. And he adds that in bags and, and he can play quite a few positions. So I can see Wijnaldum, Henderson, Naby Keita, Fabinho. I don't see any, and Oxley Chamberlain. I don't see any problem with them in terms of them staying. I can see them staying. Um, filling in those midfield roles in between them and then maybe bring in reinforcements. With the likes of, for example, Curtis Jones, I think a loan would be beneficial for him. Um, Camacho, I think maybe a loan where he decides which position he's going to be playing. I think Camacho's, I think Camacho's off, man. I don't think, I don't think he wants to be there. Um, I think he's kind of, I think he's hinting at it without saying it. Yeah, which is fair. And, and he has flirted with, you know, um, many quotes. Or many, many links that have been made with him and maybe possibly going back to Portugal and stuff. So yeah, you could see that happening. I think the interesting one in terms of our lone midfielders that are, cause I don't see any of the ones, you know, the Pedro Chilavellas of, um, Ajaria. I can see any of those guys either being loaned out again or being sold. I don't see any of them really staking a claim. The interesting one for me is Marco Gruich, who I think he's done really well on loan. He's been loved at Bertha, um, and, you know, they, they value him really highly, but he's in that awkward position where he, I don't think he's good enough to, to come back to Liverpool, but also we might be selling him too soon if we sell him this window. So maybe another loan would, I don't know if he would be happy with something like that. Yeah, for me, it's an interesting one because if we're going through the player positions, first off, I think getting Genie Wijnaldo to sign a new contract is actually extremely important. Um, because I think that he is a player who we absolutely need to keep around. I think that part of the reason maybe he might see, though, and maybe this is just me reading too far into it, is knowing how Klopp is going to buy, that he's going to start, that Klopp might buy a specialist position that is basically going to force Genie into a utility role, and players do like having their roles defined. I think Genie's a great team player, though, and I, 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 I'm hoping I'm wrong on that. Um, when it comes to Adam Lallana, uh, what I will say is this, is it, don't tweet ever about him. Never tweet about Adam Lallana. You will find out that a lot of people like him, and it will uh, blow up your Twitter account. <laughs> so just just don't do that. Um, but in general, um, you were with me the day before. You were with me two days before it, actually. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, saw, you saw me at the calm before the storm, or actually, depending upon my uh, my level of intoxication, the actual storm. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to this midfield, I can see that Fabinho's staying, Jorginho and Aldum staying. I think Milner, if we win the Champions League, might, might, might just go out a, a, on a high and maybe would even consider going to Leeds in the championship to bring them up. Uh, I think, I think us winning the Champions League dra- determines a lot of James Milner's next steps. Uh, but basically I see that there's five midfielders here that you trust and you bring in another one who's a specialist attacking midfield. Uh, I think Curtis Jones sees times in cup competitions. I see. I think Rafa Camacho's off. I think Ben Ward burns off, and I think that of the midfielders on loan, it is Grouch. He's the one who's he's the one who's interesting. I'd like to see him actually given a, a, a fair chance to actually, um, you know, get into get into this get into the squad. I still think that his abilities are still very 
kind of, once again, another guy who plays the number eight. So it's going into a spot where there's a bunch of guys who know the system really well who are probably ahead of him. But I also think that there has to be a strategy at certain points to also kind of maybe now sundown Jordan Henderson because he's starting to get closer to, you know, he's, he's close to 30. And you need to, in order to actually keep this project continuous and going, you need to kind of look past the sentimentality and say, okay, you've been here for seven or eight years. You're probably not going to keep performing at the same level at a certain point, And the injuries are going to take a toll and the mileage is going to take a toll. So you're going to play less and other players are going to come and play more who are younger. That's how this game works. And that's how you, you keep a club ticking, right? I think we've been not ruthless enough with it. But if you look at like, you know, for instance, Ferguson's United, he did that all the time. And that's what you need to do in order to build a perennial winner is not get caught up in sentimentality. Well, if you look at Henderson, he, his contract goes until 2023. So I, I, I would assume he's done in terms of getting new contracts at Liverpool. Then maybe in, uh, 2021, 2022 would be looking to sell him. So if you can keep, let's say if, if you're looking at that long-term project and you can keep a Gruich, um, happy to go out on loan, knowing full well that he's possibly coming in to, to take one of those spots, like a Henderson spot, around 2021, 20, 22, then maybe that could be one of those long-term projects that you start looking at where, you know, you're telling Grigic, look, you're not ready now and we've still got, you know, Henderson playing in his prime, you know, playing this new position, a bit more attacking, um, maybe filling in for Fabinho now and then, but just enticing Grigic enough to hold on to him for that long. But as, as I said, everyone's an individual and he might not be willing to buy into something like that when he's, looking at maybe the praise that he's getting at the moment, he might be, you know, he could have had his head turned and to ask a player to wait until 2021 or 2022, um, I think it's fair enough for him to turn around and say, mm, not for me, sorry. Um, but yeah, I, I do like your long-term planning thinking and in, in doing something like that. Yeah, I think Grujic asking him to wait until 2021, 2022, that's when you start to get into his prime. I think Grujic is, what, 23, I think 21, 22? So you're going to start asking a player to wait into, I'm actually going to look it up for a second. You're going to start asking a player to wait into his prime to say now you're going to get chances. Yeah. So yeah, it's 23. It's just 23. Yeah. So you're not going to, I don't think that that's going to, I don't think that's going to fly for him because he's 23. You're asking that right, at 25, we'll finally start putting into the rotation to play. Look at the forwards who are, look at the midfielders who are there now. Fabinho, 25 years old, playing. Jorginho Wijnaldum, 26, has been playing at Liverpool, or sorry, Genie's 27, has been playing at Liverpool and get playing, you know, a lot of games since he was 24. Keita, 23. Henderson, when he was signed, was 19. Ox, 24. Like, play, it's, you want to, you want to, at certain points, see that your prime isn't going to be basically as a, as a backup, and he, he, he might see it this way. So this brings us into kind of, uh, the forward line, and I'm actually going to include Jordan Shakiri here, because we, we didn't speak about him. So you have Roberto Firmino, Sadio Mane, Mohamed Salah, Daniel Sturridge, Ryan Brewster, Divock Origi, Jordan Shakiri, and then if you go to the players on loan, I guess we'll consider for the sake of this conversation, Ryan Kent, Harry Wilson, and Tayo Anawonye as a, a Danny Ings also, but I think Ings is the one who's obviously, obviously gone, right? Because there's, there's no way Ings is coming back. Um, that's, that's where we are with forwards. Let's get the another one out of the way. Um, I was actually quite upset with Jurgen Klopp last Sunday for one small reason. Which was, uh, not giving Daniel Sturridge a run out in what would probably be his, his last Anfield appearance. Uh, yeah, especially because he definitely knew what the score was in the other game. 
that that stuff gets filtered out. I've been filtered to the coaches as well. So yeah, I just wanted to see Sturridge get a run out. Finally, hopefully, maybe have the cop the cop saying his name for once. <laughs> yeah, but definitely. uh I mean, I, so briefly, uh I have a very strong positive feeling of Daniel Sturridge. I always will. I I like him, and I feel badly that injuries gutted his career. But um, there there's absolutely no. It would be irresponsible to bring him back on a new contract. Oh yeah, definitely, and I think. Especially with the, the type of team we are now looking to not only be title challengers again next season, but also looking to hopefully try and, you know, do a lot better in the domestic cups and keep the momentum we've been, we, we've had over the last two seasons in Europe. Um, it's now a really intense squad game where we can't have people, you know, we, we can't drag people along through the season. We need everyone to be fit firing and ready. You know, and, and bought into the project. I thought at the beginning of the season, it looked like Sturridge had bought into his new role as not being the main man anymore. And I thought that was going to help him out. We saw him get a few goals here and there, but I think over the course of the season, maybe that has waned a bit. Um, obviously it's difficult coming in, in and out of games as a striker. You know, it, it, that's one of the hardest things to do where you don't really have your eye in and you expect it to just hit the ground running and, score every opportunity you get but I think unfortunately the clock's just run out for him especially with his Liverpool career um, I'm like you where I've, I've always been very fond of him and really liked his playing style and it's unfortunate that the injuries got the best of him but as has been the theme throughout this podcast I think sentiment has to be put aside at this point in time where Liverpool are and if I were him I, I would possibly even be looking at maybe like going to the MLS I think he could really dominate that um, that league, and he he seems to have a really fond favor for for America. So I I don't know if you could you see him coming stateside. Oh, I absolutely could. Um, I'm I'm also kind of an MLS free agent because of the fact that I don't root for either the team owned by the soda company <laughs> or the team that's got Nazi fans, which are the two New York teams. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, I, I I would I'm I'm an MLS free agent, and if Sturridge went to his, an MLS side, I'd probably have a passing interest in rooting for them for, for a bit because I, I, I do like the player that much. Um, and I kind of rooted for the Galaxy a little bit when Gerard was there because once again, I, I, you know, if it's a Liverpool player playing in MLS, I'm more likely to, to watch it because I'm just not a, I'm not a huge MLS fan. I, it's, it's actually, it's, can be, it can be occasionally tough to watch because it's definitely, if, if once you've watched like the Premier League or the Champions League or any of the, any, any top European league, the ball movement in MLS is significantly slower. And while it's still an athletic league, it's just, it's, it's very, it's a very slow league to watch. And that actually, which is why it would fit Daniel Sturridge. I think he'd be, I think he'd be very good in it. But, um, if we're gonna, if we're gonna then kind of continue on across the forward line, um, Ryan Brewster returned, returning from long-term injury. Um, while I'd like to see how good he is, I, I'm, a, I'm a person who basically believes that if Brewster's gonna get himself into the first team next year, the only way within which I'll be happy about it is if he forces his way in rather than not just, rather than, you know, he got there because he wasn't blocked. Yeah, I have to agree. And especially at his age, there's no need to rush alone, I don't think. So if, if he is hanging in and around the squad, learning from the likes of, you know, Salah, Mane, Firmino, um, Klopp and, and, and the rest of the squad and, and staff, I think that would benefit him a lot more than necessarily trying to give him minutes. I don't think minutes is the issue for him now, um, at, at, at such a young age. So I, especially if we're going to be losing 
Daniel Sturridge and possibly Divock Origi as well. I'm sure we, we can go into detail more about him later on. But if, if you have a young guy who's knocking at the door where there's no pressure on him being required to start, but if it just happens to be, you know, a, a pleasant surprise that he is keeping, you know, one of our new signings or one of the other players off the pitch because he's, he's earned the right to be there then I think that's the perfect position for him. Take the pressure off him and let him just enjoy a season in in a bit less limelight than maybe some of the younger, you know, we've seen like the Ben Woodburns where they've been hyped up really, really highly and it, I don't think it's benefited them that much. So just try and temper that a little bit with Brewster and let him develop, um, yeah, in, in the background. I do think one thing that's probably going to be very helpful for Ryan Brewster and uh, I think it's also just speaks to kind of the kinds of characters that Klopp wants and also kind of speaks to leadership ability of one particular player is uh, that he was around Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain throughout both of their, uh, throughout both of their um, rehabilitations. And it seems like if you, you know, if you read into social media, and I do think that Ox is actually probably a pretty honest guy with how he uses his social media compared to his personality, that I think that he probably has showed Brewster a few things about how to be a professional and also probably just take him under his wing. So I think that that's a positive and helpful, and I think that'll help Brewster in the long run. But relying on him to do anything more than play in cup competition in the domestic cup competitions for next season, I think would be uh, undue pressure on him and probably not the best for the club. I still think that you need to bring in that fourth forward. Um, but then let's, uh, I guess let's, you know, obviously Firmino, Mane, Sala, um, I, I am basically hands off. Don't go anywhere near them. They're great. And I want them around forever. They both signed, all three of them have signed, you know, new contracts that carry them out for the next five, for the next five seasons. They're all being paid at the top of our payment curve. So, and you know, they're all making, I think, close to 200k a week. So I don't think they're probably going to have too many complaints for money unless it's basically the type of thing where they want, you know, someone like PSG or City to give them, you know, to give them stupid money. I, I, I don't see that coming from, uh, I don't, I don't see that coming from like, you know, any of these guys. And I don't think that right now the, the allure of Madrid or Barcelona is probably, you know, too much for those guys because, Guess what? We we took out Barcelona and we're gone. We've gone further than Madrid, who got to the final last year. So I think us as a you know a peak European side helps helps keep them. But then it brings in uh, the other two forwards who've actually seen probably the most time besides the three of them, which are going to be Jordan Shakiri and Divock Origi. So uh, both of them have had impact substitute performances. Uh, both of them have had decent starting performances, and both of them have actually played. You know. I don't think, I don't really think I have too many negative things to say about either of them this season because of the fact that they've both, when called upon, contributed. Shaq did fall off the face of the earth for quite a while, and you have to wonder why. Uh, the assumption is probably going to be probably fitness and work rate that he probably just couldn't maintain. And Divock Origi, um, basically is the player who is, regardless of what happens to him for the rest of his career, is going to be a folk hero in Liverpool. I guess the question is, do you see both of them still in the first team next year, or do you see them elsewhere? I think with Shakiri, maybe I can start with him. Perhaps that's probably an easier answer in that he's a pretty reliable squad player to have in and around. He's he's shown that he can hang with with the French um, with the front players in terms of being able to create for them and also being at the end of any creation that that comes out of the team. So I think he can be a useful player that. Probably should be used a lot better than he was, especially the second half of the season. I thought we could have used him a bit more in certain games. So we'll see how that develops um, 
next season. But I, I don't see him necessarily wanting to push a move or, or force a move out. It, it will be something that we'll have to look at next season in terms of whether he still wants to be a role part player as he's getting older. But I think for this season, I think he would be okay with still being uh, one of the utility players for that front line. And if we use him a bit better, I think he's shown he can he can he can do it. And I think it's just the key with him is not necessarily throwing him into games where the whole front three has been completely changed. But games where, let's say, if you're resting a Firmino, um, throw Salah up top and put Shakiri on the right, you know, or, or or something like that, where he's still playing with two of the three, and then I think he can still be a good asset there. In terms of Origi, um, obviously the rumors with him being offered a new, well, at least the, the first initial offers of, of of a new contract, whether or not he signs it, will we will see. I think the problem with him is. I don't know if his value will ever be higher for us. I, I don't. I don't see how he could improve from as as you said. He he he's going to be a folk hero for for life as a Liverpool fan. But I don't see if if he does. It obviously will be impressive. But I think at the moment this is probably the highest value we're going to get for him, and that might come into the thinking, especially if you start looking at the accounting side of things. Selling him off won't be the worst thing. I don't think there'll be too many complaints, especially if you're bringing in uh, a younger, hungrier replacement um, in the form of like a team of Verna or something. And I know we're not speaking names at the moment, but just, just to paint a picture, I think he's someone that maybe you cash in on now. And then if the offers aren't there that we're expecting, there's no harm in giving him another you know, two-year extension and then uh, seeing how that plays out, I think. Yeah, you see, I think that basically... Origi basically for me now just takes over that the spot that Sturridge had in in the squad, whereas uh, because I mean he kind of already had. Mm-hmm. So I, I think Origi, I, I think I still keep around. I just make sure that if I keep him around, I have him know that like, look, you're you're going to play the same exact role you did this year, right? It's not going to be that you're going to get more minutes if you stay. You're going to play this role. You're going to get some minutes. Um, we we trust that you're going to score some big. We, we trust that you'll. You know, you'll score a few opportunities that you have. If you actually look at Origi's per minute numbers, they're, uh, they're kind of ridiculous for a guy who I think that not many people are going to disagree with isn't, you know, for the level he's at, a particularly great footballer. Yeah. But he's one where he's young enough and I think he works hard enough as to where I think the effort level that he gives you, especially particularly off the ball when he is willing to press, keeps it, I think he keeps him relevant. Um, I think Shakiri, I think, I mean, I don't see any harm in keeping him around because I don't think his wages are probably that high. But for me, it's still by the, by another player who can, who can rotate in with that front three with minimal drop off. Cause as good as Origi and Shakiri can be at times, there's definitely a drop off between them and then Firmino, Mane, and Salah for, for a variety of different reasons. Like Origi can maybe get close to emulating Firmino's work rate, but there's nowhere near the technical or creative skill. And then with Shakiri, maybe he has a technical, technical or creative skill, but the work rate is, is, is not there. So there's just needs to be one other player who can come in and rotate with that front three to, to keep, to keep things, to keep things, um, you know, alive and moving. I guess the one that's kind of the most interesting question, if we go to the two players on loan, cause I think, I don't think Ryan, I mean, the, the players on loan, I don't think, you know, Shea Ojo, Ryan Kent, Danny Ings, and Tayo Iwanye, I think that, um, they're all probably, I think Iwanye actually left already, but, um, I, I, I think, uh, they're, they're probably all just goners. I don't see them having long-term futures. It's Harry Wilson, right? He's helping, he's, he's on the cusp of helping, of, of helping Derby County gain promotion to the Premier League. 
he, he's one who really divides opinions because the whole point is some people think that he's actually the one who can maybe come in and rotate with that front three, given off of what he's done in the championship this year. And others just think that maybe he's just not that good. I'm probably in that second camp where I would probably sell him to a lower level Premier League side because I think, or, you know, a mid table to lower level Premier League side because I think that's where he is as a player. And I don't think that he could probably perform for our first team in the same way that, you know, even probably a Shakiri can. Yeah. And, and I think, um, just to tie, tie, we just to tie, tie that list end. I think for him, it's just a, a matter of a, Similar situation with Allen where the work permit issue is just not going to sort itself out. So that, that kind of seals his fate at the moment. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that sealed, that seals that, that one up. Um, with regards to Ryan Kent, as you said, it's a really interesting one. I think for me personally, I would love to see him guard on loan to a Premier League team. And you have to be really careful in, in how you pick a Premier League team that he goes to because you don't want him going to, let's say, you know, a Huddersfield from this season where even if he's getting minutes, it's not really helping his development. Maybe looking at some of the clubs that like to use wingers who you know are probably desperate for a winger, but chances are they're going to have enough to stay up in the Premier League and see how he's able to handle that, whether or not it's going back on loan to Derby or something, that can be debated. But I I do think I still want to see him be tested in the Premier League before we we make a decision on on what we're going to do with him. It's one thing being you know one of the best players in the in the Championship. It's another thing doing it in the Premier League, and we've seen that with a lot of players that have come up to the Premier League, where it's just not necessarily clicked for them there. Yeah, I, and I can see that. It's just I, I think that the jump from Ryan Kent playing for Rangers to the Premier League is quite high because I just I, I think that the I mean. The, the few games, the few minutes of Scottish football I watched this year, the, the only thing that, you know, it led me to do was turn the games off because they're, it's not good. Um, yeah. But. And I think it's, it, in terms of Rankin, I think Rangers would be really keen to, to keep him. So that, that you, you've got a ready-made sale right there, I think. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. I think that also, um, Ryan Kent, basically, I think he, that, I think that's his levels, probably the elite, you know, a championship slash league one slash Scottish Premier League kind of player. Um, and, you know, it, it, no harm in that. There's no, you know, that's still, it's still, uh, better than most of the people on the planet. You're still making a living playing, playing football. So, you know, if anybody tells you that you're shit for doing that, well, they're, you're, you're playing football professionally and making a living doing it that way. And that other person is doing whatever they do for work. So jokes on them. <laughs> Yeah. But I think, I think that kind of brings us to, uh, to the end here. So, um, we, we, we probably won't be doing a show next week, but after that, you know, a week after that, we have the Champions League final. So we'll probably stay, stay off from that too, because there'll be either, uh, probably a shared feeling of either jubilation or desolation. <laughs> hopefully the, hopefully the former and not the latter. But after that, you know, after the Champions League, the window is open. Um, last year, it's worth noting that we don't want to necessarily be, uh, be late to news because the day after the Champions League, uh, Fabinho was announced. So hopefully the Reds can give us some sort of surprise like that in the, in the form of either a, uh, a, a six foot blonde German attacker who could play <laughs> in the attacking midfield and, uh, as a, as a winger or, uh, in a, in a colossal Dutch defender to, uh, to partner, uh, to Virgil. Those, um, if we're actually quickly going to say the two guys I want most, it's Julian Brandt and Matthias Delict. <laughs> yeah. Those are the two players I want most. And I think they, they help solve a lot of issues as well as, as we've discussed looking at the squad. I think for me, um, in terms of most 
the players I do mostly want to see. I think Delict is one of them as well. Um, I'll, I'll throw his name in. And in terms of in the forward line, personally, I, I, for me, I think a Timo Werner type trumps a Julian Brandt type for me, just because of the drop off that we've seen when Firmino's not playing. Um, I, I'll just be interested to see how it how it works when when that level is kept and and see if the team still kicks on and still has that ruthlessness um, going forward. I uh, see. For me, it's it, for me it's a little bit different because I think Brant actually can he can play as the eight, he can play as a ten, and if you need to, and let's just say you need to rest Bobby for a game, yeah. Sa- Sadio Mane's work rate, especially pressing, has become so immense that you could probably put Sadio into the Firmino role. And use like a Brant out, Brant wide and Salah wide, and you and you probably keep that continuity. As much as I like, mm-hmm. as much as I like Werner, I think Werner's a very good player. I think actually just bringing a player in who allows us to keep the fluidity is actually yeah. probably more about how I would how I would approach solving that particular problem. But like, look, if, if we end up with either Timo Werner or Julian Brandt, um, you know, on, on in in the squad come when the window closes, I think we'll have done something right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, that's a that's a good place to end it. As as we said, we'll be back with you guys uh, throughout the summer. But uh, from Tadiba myself, uh, have a, have a have a great um, you know two weeks until the final and uh, up the Reds. Network.